Good morning, everyone. All right, we're going to have to try this again. Good morning, church. All right. God is good. God is good. And all the time. Welcome to our Sunday morning service today. We're glad that you're here and you've taken this time to uh, gather together to worship and celebrate the Lord together. Again, we've come to declare that our God is good today. His love towards us is great and his faithfulness endures forever, as the word says. So I invite you now, if you're able, let's stand together as we begin to sing songs of worship and celebration and as we bless the name of the Lord. the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your
kings and lord of lords and there is none like you yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever and all god's people say a big amen amen Amen. you may be seated at this time we're going to do a couple of things we're going to first of all pray for our children who are going to Bible Town, and we are going to commit the offerings that have been uh, given uh, to the Lord uh, this week and even today. Just a reminder, there's a few ways uh, you can give financially. One of them is online. 
You can also give in person. There's two gray boxes at the back, and they are marked offering, so that'll be obvious for you. And you can also get an automated uh, giving form from the office. And I think recently uh, there is a new way to give. I believe it's e-transfer. So there's four ways that you can give um, to the Lord's work here. So let's take a moment now and let's bow in prayer as we pray for our children and uh, the offering. Lord, we, we thank you so much. Thank you for the many blessings that uh, you pour out on us. Uh, and we know that we aren't deserving of them and that we haven't done anything uh, to merit them, but it is by your grace. And so we thank you. Lord, we, we pray your blessing over uh, our children today as they go to Bible Town. I pray that you would open their eyes to see your grace and how good you are, how loving you are, and, and how you have a plan and they are a part of it. Lord, may they see Jesus more today. And I pray for the teachers uh, that they would be able to be that they would be filled with your spirit and that they would uh, be able to speak the words that our children need to hear today. Give them wisdom, give them patience as they serve you in this way. And Lord, today we thank you for your provision. It is out of your provision to us that we give back to you and we worship you in this way. We commit all we are and all that we have to you. We pray that you would bless and use what we've given today for the glory of your name. We pray that you would extend and multiply its reach and influence. We pray that it would be a great blessing to many, not only uh, here in this city, in this province, in this country, but all over the world. And we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Children, thank you for joining us for the first part of the service and singing so well with us. Have a great time in Bible Town. I invite you to stand as we sing Christ is Enough this morning.
heaven is our home. Through every storm, my soul will sing, Jesus is here. To God be the glory. next part very well. Let's sing it together. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross be Just before we come to prayer, I'm going to ask Ryan to come and make his announcement now, if that's okay, or are you doing it later? Okay, somebody else is doing it. <laughs> Paul.
Good morning. Um, I'd like to make an announcement about tomorrow night's um, Gray Matters meeting here at the church at 7 o'clock. Our speaker will be Mark Sabolski. Most of you are familiar with him. He used to be a member here. Uh, he says hello, by the way. And he misses us all and hopes we're all doing well. Uh, he will be speaking uh, on the topic of Did Paul Hijack Christianity? I think that's what he's calling it. So, um, it wasn't you, was it, Paul? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> was it you? Wasn't me. <laughs> Paul Martin, not you. <laughs> I believe he's referring to the Apostle Paul. He will be discussing how uh, early church movements uh, conspired and actually persecuted the Apostle Paul as he was uh, uh, spreading the news about Christianity. Um, and of course there are now modern day movements that say that we sh should return to the Jewish rituals and customs and all that included to be included in the faith. So that, that'll be kind of like the, basically the topic that he's approaching. Um, he also says that it's his birthday tomorrow. So he'd like those of you who know him to come and <laughs> spend time on his, uh, at his birthday. And I guess that means I'm going to have to provide birthday treats as well. <laughs> so we really hope that you, you will make Mark's day if you show up and join us tomorrow. Bring joy to his heart and hopefully be blessed. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. And that would be a great way of celebrating Mark's birthday together, wouldn't it? Would you please join with me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we pause in this moment, we are very much aware that you are God in heaven, so far above and yet the God of our lives, so near and ever-present. You are almighty. You are creator. You are the sovereign ruler and God over all, and yet you are the one who is our loving Heavenly Father. And in this moment of time in our worship as we come before you and bow down, the one who loves us with such a deep and rich love and, and sacred that we can barely understand it ourselves, thank you, Father for the love you shower over us, for the care and the blessings of life. Indeed, you are so good. Even as we are but the creation of your hands, we praise you and thank you for the greatness of all of your creation. For when you created it, it was all perfect, it was all right, it was all pronounced good. And yet, O oh God, we are sadly reminded time after time that your creation has been tarnished and tainted by the sins that we have all partaken of. So we praise you for redeeming the world through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord, the one in whom we come with great joy, the one before whose throne we bow and declare to be King of kings and Lord of lords, ever mindful of the great sacrifice he made in order to save us from our sins for he did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. And yet, O oh God, even as we bow before your holiness, 
we shudder in the realization that we are not only unworthy to come before you, but that we have sinned against you. Even in these past hours and days, even as we have sinned against one another. So we ask, O oh God, that you would touch us afresh with the gift of your forgiveness. Help us to truly repent of our ways and turn toward you, even as you restore us from the sins that so easily entangle, so easily ensnare us. Help us to walk faithfully with you. We are constantly reminded that we are a needy people, that all of us in one way or another need a fresh touch of your love. Some of us, Lord, are just simply tired from our work, from the many obstacles and obstructions that life keeps putting in front of us. We pray, O oh God, that you would refresh us with your strength, with your rest. Some of us need to know the touch of your healing hand on our bodies and in our lives, yes, even in our hearts. So we pray for the many needs of healing that we all have, for those fighting disease, for those healing from surgeries and injuries, for those who have succumbed to the cold and flu viruses that just seem to be multiplying around us day by day. Still others simply need to know the gentle touch of your love over us as we walk through valleys of grief, as we miss those who have gone on before us, in our sorrows, wipe our tears, in our memories, refresh our minds. Father, we are ever so grateful, ever so grateful for the written word that you have blessed us with, for your spirit which speaks words of life and light into the hearts and minds and into the depths of our souls. Help us to know them better, to hear you more clearly, to be faithful to them, and when we don't always like what we hear, speak into our lives the words of your truth, your life, and above all, your love. And now, O oh Lord, in these moments we spend around your word, lift us out of the complacency of daily lives and the complacency of the world that we live in, and open the eyes of our heart to the truth of this day. Speak through your servant Gary as he speaks your truth and sets it before us this morning. Speak into our hearts and lives, even when we find that truth to be difficult or to go against the ways of the world that we live in. Refresh our spirit, challenge our minds, and may our hearts respond in love and obedience, for we all ask these things in and through Christ Jesus, your Son, our Savior and Lord in whose name we pray, amen. Good morning. My, uh, my thanks uh, to the worship team. Uh, for that wonderful time of, of musical worship this morning, uh, to Pastor Paul for leading some prayer, and uh, to my brother Paul here for the, the reminder of Gray Matters tomorrow evening. I'll just, uh, I'll underscore that announcement. Um, our brother, uh, co-founder of Gray Matters, uh, Mark Sabalski will be here uh, tomorrow night. He's very excited about this talk. Uh, he gave me a, a sneak peek, a uh, little little uh, preview of it. I uh, highly encourage you to be here. I think it's going to be a, a wonderful, uh, enriching 
fascinating uh, talk that will spur us on, uh, challenge us. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow night uh, we can help celebrate Mark's birthday here. Uh, we'll meet in the parlor uh, at 7 o'clock, I believe. Is that right, Paul? All right. Um, I'm going to start with God's Word, and I would ask if you can stand to, to do that as I read from Romans chapter 1 this morning. Uh, it's up on the PowerPoints, but let me just read these words from Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and reptiles and animals." Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. We've been in a series in the book of Acts, and uh, that, that, that was before Christmas. And then we, we had Christmas, wonderful celebration of, uh, of the Lord's birth, His coming, and of course, anticipation of His return through Advent. And uh, we will be returning to our series in the book of Acts next week. Um, little preview for that. I just want to read to you these words that, that start chapter 4. If you recall in our, in our last installment, Peter and John had, had just healed the lame man by the power of the Holy Spirit, had just healed this lame man on the way to the temple courts, and then Peter gets up and he preaches his second gospel sermon. And it's amazing what happens uh, we're going to see how all of this unfolds, but, but here's what we read at the beginning of chapter 4. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. 
And we skip down to verse 18. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Well, church, we are in a a similar situation to that of Peter and John. The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish governing body and Supreme Court, wanted to silence them from speaking the truth, from teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. Well, (laughs) our Canadian government and Supreme Court have been trying to do the same thing. Last January, Bill C-4, also known as the conversion therapy ban, passed through both the House of Commons and the Senate in just over a week without any discussion, debate, challenge, or change. It was passed without a single vote of opposition and came into force on January 7th last year. It's been one year and one week. This ban builds conversion therapy both for adults and for children, and it defines conversion therapy like this. Any practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Now, if that's a a new term to you, it, it basically is the opposite of transgender. It describes a person whose gender identity is the same as their sex assigned at birth. To change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, to repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. The word repentance in Scripture means change, means turn around, change the way we think. Change the direction, a 180. And when you break this down, this bill is an attempt to prevent, prohibit the message of repentance. It's it's basically telling everyone, you have no right to tell anyone else they are wrong or the way they are living is wrong. It's deeply disturbing, and equally disturbing is the ideological bias expressed in the preamble to Bill C-4 that reads as follows. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to the persons who are subjected to it and to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. And whereas, in light of those harms 
It is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of all Canadians. There's still a lot of questions about what some of these terms mean and how they are or will be applied. But if this doesn't offend and disturb us as followers of Jesus Christ, there's a problem. Because this bill is directly denouncing, discrediting, and dismissing as harmful myths and stereotypes, not just the basic teaching of biology, but the basic teaching of the Bible. In fact, the biological argument stems from the Bible's teaching on sexuality and gender. This is an attempt to prohibit pastors, teachers, therapists, counselors, parents, and even just concerned citizens from teaching or speaking out against this ideology. And as such, it is an attack on our freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of expression, parental rights, and on biblical Christianity, on the truth of the Word of God, meant to silence any voice that tries to oppose it. And we saw that within weeks of the passing of this bill last year. We all saw the story of Carolyn Burjowski, who simply raised a question about the appropriateness of a book the, the ideology of that book and was subsequently silenced and fired from her job as a teacher. What do we do? How should we respond? Sadly, there are many in the church today who aren't sure what to believe. Or if they are sure what the Bible says, that they don't know how to respond. And so there are many churches, many pastors who choose to remain silent for fear of rocking the boat. It's contentious after all. The problem is the boat is sinking. We, we can't be silent. There are other Christians who have had knee-jerk reactions and they've said and done stupid things. Things that have been hateful and hurtful to others and harmful and disgraceful to the cause of Christ in the church. Consequently, evangelical Christians have often been branded as back, backwards thinking on moral issues, bigoted about homosexuality, and seen as biased against transgender people. As we know, there is also an increasing number of liberal churches on the opposite end of the spectrum who've taken the approach of fully embracing, affirming, and indeed celebrating the lifestyles and practices of the LGBTQ community. So where do we stand? Right here. On the Bible. As followers of Jesus, our allegiance is not to the government of our country, but to our God who is sovereign over it. And where the law of the land contradicts or tries to silence the law of the Lord, it is our duty to obey and uphold the teaching of God's word. Which is why four years ago, our board of deacons adopted a church statement clarifying what we believe the Bible teaches about sexuality and gender. And here's what it says. We did this so that, in yellow, that they, we, will know how best to live lives that are pleasing to God. 
We've done this so that church leaders will know that their teaching and decisions will be sound. And for the world outside the church, so that the church's testimony to them about God will accurately reflect the truth. Truth. According to our statement, we know God and his will for us through his word, the Bible, it is the final authority on every matter it addresses, including matters of gender and sexuality. Neither human writings, nor custom, nor tradition, nor majority opinion, nor the thinking of our own time and place, nor even the decisions of governments or courts are able to overturn the truth of God's word. We seek to live at peace with everyone so far as it depends on us and to live in such a way that our lives lead people to give glory to our Father in heaven. At the same time, Jesus warned us that his followers would be persecuted and misunderstood. When forced to choose, we must obey God's word rather than, the human, rather than human authorities or opinions. And so I'll come back to that passage in Acts. Like Peter and John, we must stand up, my friends, and say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's what I'm here to do today on this second annual Biblical Sexuality Sunday along with hundreds of other pastors across this country praying that the Lord will use this, this effort today both to declare the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ over his church and transform many lives through the life-changing power of the word of God. So what does God's word have to say about these issues? Though it doesn't mention the word transgender, it does speak directly to the underlying issues of God's created order for gender and sexuality and marriage. Let's start in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the universe, and as we know, he separated the heavens from the earth. He created the light and separated it from night. He created the waters and separated it from the ground. He created creatures and separated human beings from animals because human beings were very special. In Genesis 1, 26 to 31, we read these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, verse 31. And then in chapter two, verse 24, we read, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Um, in his likeness, in his very image, God designed and created people of two genders, two sexes, male and female. We're not just people who happen to have male or female genitalia. We are created male and female, and our biological sex in the Bible's understanding is not only fundamental to who we are, it all also reflects who God is and the nature of his image in which we all have been made. Um, by the way, this, this is important because these verses, don't only realize this, I, this was kind of a discovery for me this week. These verses are, are directly noted or quoted, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, five times in the Bible. They're intrinsic to understanding God's design, how we have been made. 
Do you think that's important? <laughs> when God repeats something, that's important. When he repeats it twice, that means it's really important. Three times, you better be listening. Four times, okay, do you have this? <laughs> Five times in both Testaments. It's almost as if he knew we would have difficulty with this, that we would need to be reminded of how he has put us together and who he is, our creator. As we see in the New Testament, the distinction between male and female is fundamental in contributing to a picture of the gospel and to the meaning and purpose of life on earth, which is why Jesus in Matthew 19 recites Genesis 127, affirming our God-given biological sex, saying this, haven't you read? I love that, by the way. Haven't haven't you read your Bible? <laughs> Haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? Because those separate and distinct man and woman come together to create something more whole than by themselves. Which is why Jesus continues by explaining God's design for marriage. Quoting Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. My friends, the lifelong exclusive covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman is the only appropriate context for sexual intimacy because only in this complete union is God's design and purpose realized. By following the gender role that correlates with our biological sex, a man and a woman can begin a family, the fundamental unit of society. Of course, this idea is called gender complementarity, and it is clearly taught all throughout the Bible. In Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul also quotes Genesis 2:24 when he writes, For this reason, a man will leave his father, mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. He's saying that the distinction between men and women reflect the distinction between God and people. And coming, the coming together of a man and woman in the deep one flesh union of marriage is a reflection of God's desire to be united with us. Him, together, one, made possible only through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why in Revelation, John looks ahead to the wedding of the Lamb and he calls Christ's church his bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's a beautiful picture, and we have to see the significance of it here. This picture of the church as the bride of Christ only works because of the differences of the sexes. It requires the union of two distinct and different but complementary others. Human beings made in the image of God are embodied sexual creatures, and submission to our creator God means accepting our bodies and our biological sex as central to God's design and to our identity, a precious gift from God for our good and for his glory, which is why in the beginning when God saw all that he had made, including man and woman, he said it was very good, very good, until the serpent comes along in Genesis 3 and tempts Eve to disobey God. How? By getting her to question God's word. Did God really say? 
Really? That, that you must not eat from any tree? See, Satan takes God's word and he, he twists it into a lie in verse 4 that you will not surely die like God told you. No, he, he only told you that so that you wouldn't eat the, the fruit from the tree in the middle because he knows that when you do, you will be like God. Satan hates God. And he hates anything that reflects God's glory and his image, and that's us. And so he, can, he does anything he can to deceive, to, to twist the truth, deceive people. And so Adam and Eve fall into temptation. They disobey God, leaving all humanity to follow under the curse of sin. Sin that separates us from God and brings disorder, distortion, brokenness of every kind, mental brokenness, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and yes, sexual brokenness. And so it really shouldn't surprise us that the deceiver whispers to people regarding their sex, did, did God really say, this is how you're made, male and female, he created them? To bring it back to the transgender issue, the key question is this. Is my gender or my sexual identity determined by my decision in my mind or by God's design in my nature, in, in how I've been put together? Now, for people who don't believe in God, okay, or, or just choose to ignore him or reject him, it would make perfect sense, seemingly, that my decision should be the ultimate factor. I... I should get to choose how I live this life, how I choose to express myself. I get to call the shots. That's what allured Eve, right? It's my body, and therefore it's my choice what I do with it and, and how I define it. So if I feel like a gender other than how I was born and want to express myself that way, well, that's my call. It's about individual autonomy. It's also called gender self-determination which as we've seen is being embraced as a virtuous and moral human right enforced by Canadian law. But what does the Bible say about it? The Bible never gives any indication that a person's perceived gender should differ from their biological sex. They're never meant to be separated. What we clearly see in scripture is that God, the creator of all human life, has connected biological nature and sexual identity and the Apostle Paul makes the compelling case from God's revelation in nature in the passage that we read just a few moments ago in Romans chapter 1. Paul explains that God's divine nature is revealed in the physical material universe around us. And he says, what may be known about God is plain because God has made it plain to them. That is, in the world. His nature is plain. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And by the way, what has been made includes people, so that people are without excuse. When they what? When they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. Or, as we read in verse 25, when they exchange the truth about God for a lie, worship and serve created things rather than the creator. Paul is saying that the material, physical universe reveals God's true nature and his design for people to worship him. That is what God has designed us to do. 
That is how we, we recognize our, our ultimate purpose and fulfillment in life. It is to, to know God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to be united to him and to, and to worship him. Well, the next part is, is key to the transgender issue. Paul draws a striking parallel with human sexuality in verses 26 and 27. Just as physical nature around us reveals the truth about God's identity, so our physical nature reveals the truth about our sexual identity. Whom we should worship is not supposed to be determined by how we feel or or, or what I feel like. And neither is our sexual identity. Both are determined by God's revelation in nature in how he's made our bodies, male and female. Paul says, even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men. The Greek word translated natural here, it means the underlying constitution or, or inner makeup of a person. The parallel Paul is making is this. On one hand, cosmology, okay, which is the the science of the origin and development of the universe, that is designed by God to reveal the truth about God's identity as creator, as powerful and divine. On the other hand, biology, anatomy, is designed by God to reveal the truth about our identity as his creations, male and female. And this truth is so plain, Paul says, that we are without excuse if we fail to recognize it and agree with it. So if a person looks at the world and chooses to worship a creature or a created thing rather than the creator God, they are without excuse. And if a person looks at their own body and chooses to play the part of or try to become the other gender, they are without excuse. Because in both cases, we are exchanging the truth about God and ourselves for a lie. Who we are designed to worship and how we are designed sexually are both determined by God's revelation in nature and explained in his word. So what we see here is that our biology points to God's design. Even when it's hard to discern, even when it's obscured. Because I know we, we've all heard those, those sad, difficult, tragic stories of babies born with, with rare biological abnormalities where, where the genitalia are ambiguous or both female and male parts are present. And to be sure, those situations are extremely difficult. I can't imagine being in a situation like that. But thanks be to God, there, there is... There is wonderful technology today. There's genetic testing that can be very helpful to at least see where his or her genetics point to so that parents can then raise their child accordingly. See, every part of human life's been affected by sin. But we must remember this. No matter how severe the birth defects may be, every baby from the moment of conception is a complete, precious human life, fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God in the image of God. Which means denying or or trying to erase the biological significance of our maleness and femaleness, my friends, it undermines the design God has knit into the fabric of our being. And that cannot be undone 
without serious, serious consequences. Sin has twisted and distorted God's image in us, corrupted us to the core, broken us, separated us from our creator God. And that's really bad news. But thanks be to God, there is really good news. God made a way for us to be put back together, recreated, redeemed, restored through faith in Jesus Christ, his one and only righteous son who became in fully, fully nature, God took on flesh. He became one of us. He took on gender. Became a man who knew no sin but became sin for us in order to pay the full penalty for our sin, all sin in full on the cross so that we could be forgiven. So that through faith, by, by returning, changing, changing the way we think, repenting and turning in faith to him, we can be redeemed Forgiven, wiped clean, and made new creatures in Christ Jesus. That only happens, though, by repentance, by turning away from our lives of sin to Jesus Christ in faith. It's the only way we can discover our true and ultimate identity, my friends, as sons and daughters of the living God. As followers of Jesus Christ, as his church, as his bride... How should we respond? First of all, we must respond with conviction. We must stand up for and upon the truth of God's word, which teaches us that all people are created in the image of God, and that our maleness and femaleness points us to an even deeper reality, to God's incredible design in us, which again is ultimately for our good and flourishing and for God's glory. God knows the painful disordering of our sexual desires that came with the fall. So as Christians, we must bear witness to the goodness of what it means to live as God's creations, not as self-defining gods in our own lives. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, you've been, you whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's for us, friends, followers of Jesus Christ, temples of the Holy Spirit. But all the conviction in the world won't matter if we don't act with compassion. Compassion. Because that's, that's what Jesus did. So I'm going to quote our statement again. According to our statement in everything, we, we seek to follow the example of Jesus and the apostles by speaking the truth in love. They were not afraid to call sin, sin, and boldly taught things that went against the culture of their day, but they were also quick to befriend and forgive sinners, sought to make the gospel clear and attractive to everyone, and welcomed all seekers with patience and compassion. Last week, we talked about returning to our first love. We looked at those verses in, in 1 Corinthians. It, you know, if, if we speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, we're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We're called to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. Truth is required, but to speak it in love with compassion. So we don't laud, we don't loathe, we love. 
as Jesus Christ loved us. Jesus loved people and called them to repent, called them to leave their empty life of sin and find abundant life in him like he did with a woman caught in adultery in John 8. So we must be patient and compassionate with anyone experiencing same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, remembering that in this fallen and sinful world, all of us are alienated in some way from whom we were designed, who we were designed to be. According to our statement, people who experience same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, whether or not they engage in sinful sexual behavior, are image bearers of Almighty God. And we are commanded to love them. Someone's sexual orientation, gender identity, or sexual behavior never justifies treating that person with any kind of abuse, hatred, belittlement, or mockery. Furthermore, people who have engaged in any kind of sin related to gender and sexuality, and please let me add, including heterosexual immorality, can be saved and forgiven through Jesus Christ. Likewise, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians can put to death their sinful natures, their sinful desires, and live lives of victorious obedience to him, whether or not they experience same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion. So in faithfulness to the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us in these temples, let us reach out, my friends, in love and with compassion, remembering that we can't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. If they're going to live like Christ, they, they need Christ to live in them first. That only happens by God's power through the Holy Spirit's conviction. But it happens through the proclamation of his word. That's why we have to speak the, the truth in love. Love defined by God, by the way. God who so loved this world and its brokenness that he made a way for us to be forgiven from our sins, set free, redeemed, and put back together, restored to wholeness through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So into this broken, confused world, May we speak the truth in love and offer hope, hope that is alive because Jesus is alive. He rose victorious from the dead in a glorified body. And my friends, through faith in him, so will we. We will experience the resurrection of body and soul to everlasting life. That is a promise to everyone who has repented their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness. So with conviction, with compassion, and let's add with great expectation, let us point forward to the ultimate culmination of the gospel, to the promise of the resurrection of our broken, confused, disordered bodies that is to come through faith in Jesus. In light of our eternity and our own resurrection, may the world see and be compelled by our hopeful living, by our sacrificial loving so that they might be drawn by the Holy Spirit to repent of their sins and turn in faith to God's Son, Jesus, for forgiveness and salvation, that they might be given the gift of eternal life as sons and daughters of God, whose souls will be redeemed and whose bodies will be raised imperishable to eternal life. I just want to close with these words uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what Paul writes. Uh, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. 
but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. That that we can understand what you've written here. Because you have given us your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts. And you've given us our Holy Spirit not just to, to understand what your word has said, but to do what it says. So, Father, I pray that we would be doers of your word. Father, that we would be speakers of the truth in love into this world that so desperately needs to hear the good news amongst all the bad news, who, who desperately needs to see the light shining in the darkness, to see hope and what real hope looks like. Father, hope not just for this world and the things we see, but hope that is unseen and yet so real, Father God. We thank you for the promise of the resurrection. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins paid for once and for all on the cross where Jesus died to pay for the sin for everything that we've talked about today. And God, thank you that that we can, can be bearers of this truth, of this good news. And I pray, God, that you would empower our witness as your people here, as your bride. Indeed, Father, that you would continue the work of sanctification that you are doing in each one of our hearts, Father, purifying us. Father, I just, I thank you for what you will do in our nation. Our nation needs you. Our nation needs revival. Father, I pray that that there would be a revival in this nation of of truth, Father God, that that your word would go forward boldly today. And, And Father, that it would find its way by the power of your Holy Spirit, cutting through all the muck and the mire to people's hearts, and that you would do a radical work of of transforming lives like ours. Father, thank you for what you've done in us, and thank you for what you will do in those who need you, Father. And we ask these things and pray these things in the strong, saving, powerful, most glorious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As uh, we close today, I invite you to stand, and we're going to uh, sing uh, a prayer, essentially, 
committing ourselves to living a life that pleases uh, the Lord, not looking for uh, praises from the world, but remembering that the Lord comes first and his truth and his word come first. So let's sing that together. Time to live a life of love. 
Amen. What a fitting prayer to end with today. Um, before I pronounce the benediction, I just want to say thank you uh, for bearing with me today. Uh, an important message. Please continue to pray. I know that there will be messages like this being preached throughout the day today. So please continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and other congregations uh, standing on the truth of God's word. I want to close with these words from Jude uh, 20 to 24. And uh, before I do, we just invite you to join us, stick, stick around after for a time of fellowship in our gymnasium. It would be great to, to have a conversation and, and get caught up with one another today. But now receive the Lord's blessing. You, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Lord bless you.